0: Welcome to Backstage Chat with the Miskatonic Playhouse. This evening we have with us Nick Brook, who is a Chaosium Ambassador for the Miskatonic Repository. Nick, thank you very much for being with us here tonight. Thank you very much for having me on the Miskatonic Playhouse. (laughs) You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, We do have a series of questions from our quite wonderful community. So if you're happy to, I'm I'm keen to kind of fire off some of these questions so we can kind of get a sense of... I'd be delighted to answer your questions, as we discussed beforehand. My safe word is bollocks, so uh, if anything goes <laughs> astray, we'll just fall into that. Super, thank you, and I like that we've set the tone really early on. So that's 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 the best way to do things, I think. It's fantastic. Um, okay, so uh, uh, our first question, Nick, is actually from uh, Stuart Sellens, and we actually ran his scenario. He, he's our he's our first scenario that we've run. Oh, uh, uh, the Dragon of Wantley. Dragon yeah. of Wantley. Um, God, I Love that cover. Yeah, oh, it's superb, isn't it? And, and, um, and I, I stole a marketing trick from Stuart, and I don't know
1: if you know me well, but that is a real compliment. He did a special nice. St. George's Day sale for his
0: dragon-slaying adventure, and I have yep. a dragon-slaying
1: adventure, so I just jumped on that bandwagon and rode it all That's, the way.
0: To- I did exactly the same thing. I did exactly the same thing. In fact, I contacted Stuart and said, can I do that as well? And he went, yeah, so, done. Okay, well, there you go. There, there's a really good, there's a good bit of advice for everybody straight away in the community. What, um, what, what, what's Stuart wanting to ask me? Why did you do that, you bastard? not quite Stuart's question is this Stuart's question is this and uh, uh, so his question is how did you get involved with community content in the beginning and this is something that Bridget Jeffries has said to us that there is a bit of a story here
1: Oh yeah, yeah. She wants all the dirt to come out. All right, I, I can answer that then. What? That's very straightforward. Um, I've loved these role-playing games for all my adult life, and a while before that too. Since I was too young to know what I was going with, doing with them. Probably I was about ten or eleven when I started playing that weird hybrid of Dungeons and Dragons that was only the only thing that existed back then before the Dungeon Master's Guide had come out. Uh, And I progressed into RuneQuest by the age of 12 or 13, because I got tired of all the racism and sexism and alignment, essentialism and fascism and stuff that was baked into early D&D. So I was playing RuneQuest as a teenager. I went to university. Um, Avalon Hill was mangling RuneQuest badly at the time. This was the late 80s, early 90s. And so when I finished at university, and because I'm slack, I had not got a job to go to, I wrote a nice letter to Chaosian saying, um, hi, I've just finished university. I love your games, especially that RuneQuest one. Call of Cthulhu is cool, but I didn't mention that in the letter. And um, I said, is there anything I can do to help with RuneQuest? I didn't say it because it's all looking a bit bumpy in the art is shit. Um, and they said, um, I got a letter back from Greg Stafford which was rather nice. He was the uh, president wow. of the time. And he said, if you want to help with the request, the best thing you can do is get in touch with an Englishman called David Hall, who is running a fan magazine called Tales of the Reaching Moon, which I've never heard of. And I thought, that sounds like a good idea. So I got in touch with David Hall and he got to me and he invited me to join his RuneQuest gaming group that met fairly close to where I lived and he invited me to help him produce the magazine Tales of the Reaching Moon and he also said oh and next month I'm going to Dublin for a games convention called GaleCon where Greg Stafford is a guest of honour why don't you come along and so I did and that's when my life changed and I became involved in producing <laughs> fan content this isn't community content in the modern sense um David was working with absolute support from Chaosium and from Avalon Hill eventually, which was very nice to see, and from Isseries Inc. when um, Greg left Chaosium and founded his own company to do his own thing. Um, And he was producing a beautiful, gorgeous magazine that's uh, really lovely. And I was helping with that. Not writing very much, but a lot of proofreading, a lot of advice behind the scenes kibitzing, and just hanging out with the guys. And it was it was glorious. That was all through the 90s I was doing that. Wow. And then it stopped. And the real reason is probably human. Uh, We grew up, we got married, we had children. We went to live on different continents. Uh, David fled to Australia, Rick was deported back to America and Colin left for New Zealand. And there was just me left in England and I had two crying children. So, you know, I had a few fallow years of gaming and then picked it up again a bit in 2008 and even more when I found a local club in about 2013. Um, and then there was the new edition of RuneQuest on the horizon and then it arrived in 2018. It was glorious. It's beautiful, really beautiful game. Love that game. I might have mentioned it before. <laughs> and then in December of 2019, there's a convention that used to happen annually in London before, in the before times, called Dragon Meet. And my friend Michael O'Brien from Chaosium, who used to be one of the editors of Tales of the Reaching Moon and who I've met frequently at the vigorous convention scene that existed all through the 90s and early noughties, was was attending from Chaosium, and he said, we're about to launch something called community content. And I thought, "Mm, that sounds a bit crap. You saw people chucking out scenarios, I suppose, with no quality control. And he said, yeah, yeah, just like that. So he said, there's no no quality control, no editorial supervision, you can just publish whatever you want like. (laughs) He said, why don't you do some of your stuff? You might have stuff that you previously published in Tales, or stuff that you never got published in Tales because it wasn't good enough, or things you've been working on since. And I thought, yeah, probably do that. And I tried. And um, people liked my first scenario and they loved my first uh, book where I was editing and laying out, but other people had done all the work. And it just grew and grew. So, um, A Rough Guide to Glamour, which you can see sitting on the shelf behind me, became our first yeah. print on demand title and first gold medalist on the Johnstown Compendium. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff more. My, my room isn't normally like this, I'm not weird. So this is just a show of my stuff while I'm here, because otherwise I have <laughs> to keep my- up. <laughs> So, um, what I found was that because I'd been involved in producing the magazine in the 90s and I'd learned at the knee of the late, great Steve Thomas, who was Tales of the Reaching Moon's layout guru, um, there's a skill set to making these things look nice, which I have. And the tool, tool set is not unreasonably expensive if you think, well, I'm probably going to sell 100 of the scenario and I'll price it this much. And for that much, I could run the software I need to create this for half a year. And all I need to do is bring out a second book after the first and a third book after the second and utterly self-sustaining. But you get scared away by that thought, what if nobody likes my stuff? And on the RuneQuest side of things, that's a very foolish worry to have because everything sells 50 and then 100 copies uh, if it is remotely like what people want to buy. Um, okay. So you can basically, my advice to RuneQuest creators nowadays is just budget from the assumption you're going to sell 100 copies in the first few months, because you are, unless you're writing something that is deliberately objectionable, you know, set in a part of the world nobody plays their games, is is crap, looks like rubbish and you don't market it. And that you could probably fail for that, but we've got a very loyal, um, very content-starved fan community. But that's one thing I wanted to talk about with respect to the Miskatonic repository, because the difference the repository's got, now that's been running now for almost four and a half years, is that there has been continuously produced the Call of Cthulhu and related stuff for more than 40 years. And some of it is extraordinarily high quality. So there's the big campaigns, the scenario collections, there's the licensed spin-offs that go into all kinds of weird directions and that stuff keeps coming out from Chaosium and its licensees. Well, we won't talk about weird competitors that file off the serial numbers because fuck those guys. Um, and there's a lot of it. So it's quite hard to get noticed in the um, Miskatonic market where you're bringing out a called Cthulhu scenario into a market that's got loads of called Cthulhu scenarios. That's why you really need things like striking cover art or interesting settings. Or, I mean, if we're getting desperate and you really, really want to sell, I suppose you could always go with sea shanties uh, in order to make a splash. And that, that's what Paul did. I mean, I have great respect for that guy usually, but jumping on some kind of TikTok trend of the early pandemic. Well, what can you say, really? So there we go. I think that's the big difference in the markets is with you. You have to make a little bit more of an impact and creators are making that impact on the Miskatonic side. Um, than with RuneQuest where everyone's starved and there has not been 40 years of continuous high quality production that fan stuff is competing with there have been long lulls and gaps in production and things people have wanted that have never been provided by the official uh, company so us fans are going and doing it ourselves and yeah. you know take this or you could maybe wait another 25 years and see if calcium does anything in the space you're interested in but in the meantime we've got four fat books about the lunar empire up there they've got a few paragraphs we've got um an entire linked campaign set in sun county in cracks. they've got one paragraph description of it that gets something's wrong it's like this is why we're we, we are doing so well is because of the difference in between the runequest clarantha um scene and the miskatonic scene but the miskatonic repository is a hugely successful community content program Um, There are some real stars emerging from it. It's had gold and platinum best-selling titles. Uh, It's a great place to be, but you do need to have your scenario noticed. And that's why it's really nice to be talking to the Miskatonic Playhouse tonight, because I think you guys working with Call of Cthulhu creators, oh my God, the lights went out, that's better. Uh, You guys working with Call of Cthulhu creators um, can really help get some undiscovered gems into the light.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant, and I think that that's a big part of our intention as well is to you know, find those, you know, just just expose communities to community. You know, we're hmm. we're community content creators, creating for community's sake. But I haven't yet
1: answered Stuart's question because I like to sound my own voice. He was asking how did I get the Chaosium gig as a community content ambassador, and the answer is. I've known all of the guys who run the KLCM for donkey's years. I knew Mob since the very early nineties when he was doing tails. Um, Rick came on board, He was a friend of mine. Um, he came over to the UK and I was you know, the first person he used his Ford expense account to buy a huge slap up feast for. Um, he married uh, one of my wife's best friends. We met at a party in our flat um, and he came on board to Tales and took over the layout jewels from Steve. Um, I know Jeff and Neil of Chaosium because um, they were at Gloranthacon, I think it was five, in uh, Canada, in Victoria, British Columbia, where we got Greg Stafford dressed up in drag, drag playing one of the Lunas from our glorious book up there um and you know so that's decades of knowing these people so I, I knew them; they knew me they knew what i could do they knew i was a safe pair of hands that i wouldn't go do i've been involved on and off in whatever online communities exist so mailing lists back in the day and yahoo groups when everything moved to yahoo groups and nowadays facebook there's a there's the burp central forum and there's even some discords where I'm st- di- sticking my toe tenderly into the discourse on Discord, but I'm um, not, not sure it'll yeah. last. Uh, not sure is it'll there, last. Uh, but um, anyway, the they knew, group, me, they knew yeah. what I could do, and they could see that I had a real passion for getting this community content out there, encouraging other people, working with the people in our creators' circles. There's the Miskatonic and Johnstown Compendium creators' circles. Yeah. So after a while, they thought, oh, I'll give them a job. So, they um, <laughs> gave me a great award for services rendered and uh, a calcium.com email address, which is the thing I really wanted, and um, a diplomatic immunity. So, if, if I kill you, they can't arrest me. <laughs> Just so you
0: know. I like it. That's the true, as you, as you mentioned to me before, that's the true uh, role of an ambassador, isn't it?
1: Oh, the, 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 we also get to deliver ultimatums and declare wars. Everyone thinks it's all about circulating at cocktail parties and swigging back the GNTs, and it is about that too. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. But there's others. So anyway, that, 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 that's the answer, Stuart. Um, and thank you for asking. I, um, as you probably tell, I like talking about myself, and I'm sure that um, Pete behind the scenes will be cutting off lots of that answer and putting it in the bin.
0: <laughs> well, there you go, Stuart. That is your, your question right there. Uh, the second question is going to be actually from Pete. Uh, so uh, Pete just asks us, um, do you have a favourite Miskatonic repository scenario which you'd like to recommend to the community?
1: Now, this is where I have my, my guilty conscience comes out, because you may have noticed that moments in the first dance that I talked a lot about a game that isn't Call of Cthulhu. Um, I've got a um, skill set that lets me bring things out in print. I bring things out in print for RuneQuest, and I also bring things out in print for Call of Cthulhu for the Miskatonic Repository, and I like doing it. It's fun. It helps people who wouldn't otherwise get their book, and I can tell you it's absolutely wonderful to get a printed copy of your own thing with these glossy covers and beautiful art and everything and see what went wrong and notice that one word you never changed and now it's in the wrong place forever and everyone will curse you, but (laughs) there there you go. So I'm gonna get things into print. What I'm not good at is playing a lot of Call of Cthulhu. Um, I played back in the early eighties when it first came out because everybody did, there were, you know, the UK at the time, if you weren't playing DD, which I wasn't, there was Runequest, there was Traveller, and there was Call of Cthulhu, and I was eyeballs deep in all of those. Um, but that was a, a brief passing teenage fad. I got to university, I played in a brilliant Call of Cthulhu campaign run by my best mate, Chris Skidler, who co-authored a bunch of the stuff up there, so we're still talking to each other. 30, 40 years later, no, 30 years later, so it can't be that bad. He ran a Call of Cthulhu, what we now call a gaslight campaign, set in Victorian London in 1888 um, against the backdrop of the Ripper murders and a whole bunch of weird stuff going on. And the lovely feature of this was it wasn't particularly Lovecraftian. It was mythos-like, cosmic horror-ish, but it was all through a Victorian um Lens. So you were rather than going up against Nialat Hotep, you might be going up against Sebek Hotep, the crocodile headed pharaoh of the cursed 13th dynasty, whose mummy had recently been removed from Crocodilopolis and brought to the British Museum, where people were translating and reading aloud his funerary inscriptions for the first time. Or um, instead of going up against um, a dimensional shambling horror, you'd be going up against what folklore tells you is probably Walter the Wild Huntsman of Woodstock, uh, a probably Norman baddie who rides through the night sky with his skeletal hounds. And there was all kinds of weird stuff going on. There was Queen Victoria's deformed mutant child who may or may not have been brought up at the bottom of a Scottish lock. Um, There was the vampire (laughs) Earl of Even marrying Countess Bathory in a Calvinist ceremony with no Christian insignia in the chapel and no mirrors anywhere, because that's vanity, don't you know? And we were all very suspicious and very mad and the game was glorious. So I played a lot of Cthulhu, creative Cthulhu run by Chris. And if you're listening to this, Mr. Gidlow, where the hell is our Berlin campaign? You arse. But I digress. Um, <laughs> so then, well, after New Year's occasional Cthulhu, because Cthulhu is a lovely pick up and put down a game. But if you've got a few people sitting around and one of you is a good keeper, you can just play a one-shot Cthulhu and uh, have a lot of fun. So that was my idiom for a lot of intervening time during which I was playing... Oh, what? I think i got back into getting with an Aral Khadim campaign for D&D and then lots of dark heresy which is kind of Cthulhu-ish and has a big Mike mason footprint but it's set in yep. space so it's not really like Cthulhu at all and you get big guns you get to shoot Cthulhu with big guns but he gets to shoot back at you with even bigger guns so it's you know, not, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay so there's a, there's a hell of a the trail there My recent Cthulhu playing experience began during this pandemic lockdown. Now, if you're listening to this from from some kind of time vault, you may need to know that from roughly March of 2020 until pretty much now, um, there's been a global pandemic and everyone's dying and we're locked up in our own houses. We can't go anywhere. Now, in my... Home, we've got a couple of lodgers they're very nice and uh, my daughter who uh, was going to university from home and then working from home she's very nice and obviously she's a gamer because she's my daughter and of our two lodgers one had played games before a lot, does it very well, and one was gaming curious. So I said, well, why don't we try Call of Cthulhu and see if it's your cup of tea? And I ran Chaosium's scenario, The Necropolis, out of Gateways to Terror, which is absolutely lovely. It's basically discovering Tutankhamun's tomb gone wrong. Um, Really fun, very evocative. It's uh, designed as a one-hour scenario, but if you're long-winded like me and you enjoy describing Egyptian tombs and sinister stuff going on, you can easily pad that out. If you've just played Assassin's Creed Origins, you'll already have a feel for the kind of environments you're moving through as that scenario goes, and you can just make it creepy. It's very, very good. So I enjoyed that. And for our second game, that was a one one night one. Second game, we ran Blackwater Creek over two sessions and ended in a magnificent total party kill. Absolutely gorgeous. I mean, that scenario is designed (laughs) to chew up and spit out investigators, and it did. That was great fun. And then we played Lynn Hardy's The Children of Fear. I started running that when it was only available in PDF. We graduated to the hardback by the end of it, and it was great fun. We were basically Indiana jones in it, so there's a lot of red line travel. We had wonderful, charismatic um, investigators. Um, my daughter drew a p- picture of them, which I've shared on the um, Call of Cthulhu Facebook group, and she said it was a cunning plan. She said, I've decided to make us all look really kind of cute and interesting so that you won't just want to murderize us. And it worked. I didn't kill any players not any investigators i'm sorry always always on the wrong side of that line i didn't kill any of the investigators during that but we had a great time going around discovering weirder and weirder things about tantric buddhism as they traveled around central asia into tibet and beyond and it was all very very glorious and um recently we've kicked off masks i'm not sure how far we'll get but we've pretty much polished off we did peru in a night with lots of pisco sours and ambient latin jazz we've pretty much done new york and uh, next stop will be England, which is brilliant because I live here and I know all about what's creepy and weird about London. So, um, nice. yeah, that, that's my Cthulhu experience. But as you have seen, there isn't much room in that for me to say. And I also constantly play and play test miscatonic repository scenarios written by my good friends. Um, they're, they're all good friends. By the time I finish their books, it's like, you know, we, 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 we know what makes each other tick. Um, but that's why I can't honestly say the favorite miscatonic repository scenario I have played is what i will say is that every scenario i've prepared for print has been lovely they are beautifully presented they are different and um they are creative and they work um and this i think is the real advantage that community content has over if my friends Chaosium will forgive me bland corporate pap um community content creators have a huge advantage that nobody is telling them what they can and can't do apart from stuff that isn't actually legal to do or, or moral i mean we say no extreme adult content and we also say um, don't go playing with copyrighted things that aren't yours to play with and we will do our best to identify those for you um, but other than that um, you, can, you can do it your own way. You can write the scenario the way you think your scenario should be run, And maybe you're wrong, maybe you're right. But whatever it is, that's you down on the paper. And you can see that in these scenarios. They aren't written to template. They are written by people who've got a story to tell and they want to tell it the best way they can. And that's lovely. That's yeah. very exciting. I like it a lot. So that's why I'm found community content. Because my fear with Call of Cthulhu is that once you start leaning on the Lovecraft tropes, on the way you know that a hey, um, H.P. Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos story is meant to work, it becomes kind of predictable and kind of samey, and everyone's like, oh, the King of Yellow. King of Yellow again. Didn't we defeat him last campaign? And oh, oh, yeah, the smell of whatever it is. That must be a Cthonian. And it's like, no, that that that's... that. that, that that's, that's not interesting. I know I know that Chaosium did some self parody and stuff about that with Cthulhu themed dungeon bashes and uh tips to investigators on how to survive which are basically nonsensical act like a moron and then get killed. But it's like I don't think you need that. I think what you need is a good story that grips you and wants to pull you in. And that's why things like the cover for the Dragon of Wantley are so exciting because I just see that and you think yeah. I'm sure I've seen that film. I'm sure I've seen that movie. And I think one, the covers that um, Alex Gillott does for the uh, Grindhouse series and related stuff. Oh, yeah, like fantastic. Cardinal of Madness and Highway of Blood. He's just got yeah. the 60s, 70s aesthetic down pat. He's brilliant. And I understand He's offering to do covers and advice on graphics to any community content creators, you would be mad not to take him up on that. It's an astonishing offer. His stuff is always consistently brilliant. And I've never met or spoken to the guy. So that's from the heart. I see his covers and I think that's good. That's really good.
0: Yeah, Alex is fantastic. And he's he's it's just to say he's been in touch with us at the playhouse and hopefully we're gonna be getting him into uh to either play with us or maybe even run one of his scenarios for us. So Very awesome. exciting, very exciting. You're going to be yes. so
1: mutilated. That's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The one thing I will say is um, if you you know find out in casual conversation while you're setting up that, if he has any interest at all in Bronze Age psychedelic mythological role playing, because um, we could tempt him to be up the dark side.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, don't worry. That'll come up in conversation, and I have no doubt, but the man of that kind of creative talent, he's, he's going to be interested in, in a fair few things. Yeah. Isn't it? It's it's Sword and Sandler movies from the 50s. The posters are beautiful and iconic. He could, he could do those. He could do those till the cows he, come up. You know, he, he, he pointed out, actually, that he does. Um, he's done a few trailers as well, I know that there's a few other individuals that do really fantastic trailers. Uh, I know Pete Burgess does some yeah. fantastic trailers, and one that he did, it was brilliant. I saw one for uh, Virus, That's, that's gorgeous. That that was it. Virus is the one we got talking about, but then he he linked to me to one of his earlier ones, and it just absolutely resonated. The thing, John Carpenter's the thing, like the, the mood and the atmosphere yeah. and everything. And I was totally sold on it. Within seconds, I was like, I kind of I want to play that. I want to play Have that. in the cover, seeing yeah.
1: the, the pipeline.
0: Um, yeah poster. that was it i think that was it yeah. all, the, yeah. all the credits for the pipeline
1: and movie poster stuff and that's just yeah. that's so well done really like that i'm, I'm yeah. full of envy I, I really admire what he's doing design wise and also extraordinarily talented and productive so i'm very envious actually
0: oh, well there you go alex if you're i say if you're when you're watching this drop yourself a little comment in the bottom there and uh, have some community content creators get in touch with you and let's show off some of that community work, shall we? because it's amazing yeah. Um, brilliant. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick, for that one. Uh, that what was Pete's question, was is, uh, Thank you, Pete. For that was that. Pete's question. Um, we're going to go to uh, Anthony Richards' questions now, or Anthony Richards' question. Uh, sorry if I said your name wrong there, Anthony. Uh, what's the funniest in-game role-playing story you have to tell?
1: Ooh, yes. Okay. You gave me a little of warning that this one was coming, and I will share yeah. it with you, but I've got to warn your audience that what I'm going to say now is a spoiler, for something that happens quite close to the end of the Children of Fear campaign, although I'm pretty sure it won't have happened in anyone else's campaigns quite this way. So <laughs> my daughter, who has worked out how to abuse the Court of Cthulhu rules, it plays characters with absurdly high credit ratings. They're traveling through darkest Tibet on their way to a final confrontation, and there's uh, a local tribe that has two things in common. One thing is they live in a really rainy valley, And the other is that their witches like to poison people who are hugely successful because that way their success will be stolen by the witches. And um, my daughter aced her credit rating role and was able to distribute parasols from her extensive collection to all the people of this tribe and became effectively like a living goddess among them. If you remember the way C-3PO was treated by the Ewoks, that's how she was treated by these Tibetans. And of course, the thing is, my daughter knew what this would lead to. And she was setting me up for a thing where I poison her, so she needs to be cured. So you get the um, Dr. Henry Jones Senior uh, moment at the Grail. And it just just came off like a treat. It was beautiful. Now, we were running um, on high energy then, and I had to finish the campaign Slightly faster than I wanted to, because um, we had the summer break and the lodgers pushing off to foreign parts as they do, Kent or somewhere, God knows, outside London anyway. So basically, completely out of reach. Um, but that was that was really nice as a piece of emergent stuff where I could see where she was going. She knew what she was letting herself in for. We all thought, yeah, we're going to go with this, and and it just worked. It, it worked beautifully. So yeah, and the children of fear spoiler section is now over. But it's a brilliant campaign and you should certainly get it and read it. One thing I loved about Children of Fear is although there are mythos options, if you like your tentacles, uh, you can also run it as a completely non-Lovecraftian weird tale of Tibetan Buddhism which is what I did. It's like, why, why bother with the seafood and the tentacles when you can just have an immense amount of fun with the way this is written? Now, it's cleverly written. Lin is very smart. There are multiple yeah. options for what big Mythos bads could be behind everything that's going on, and they will make perfect sense, as far as I can understand it. But you can just run it straight out of the box, not do anything Lovecraftian to it, to it and you've got a rollicking, occult adventure and discovery story that will take you across a fascinating chunk of continent.
0: So it's great stuff. Fantastic, and you what? I, I I think it's good that we do mention the you know chaosium campaigns by you know Lynn Hardy and you know uh, Paul Frederick Mike Mason etc etc because it's it's a lot of these campaigns that inspire a lot of the community content. It's a lot of these games that get us playing, and that's what drives this community that we've got. Thanks, thanks for mentioning that because that's something I did want to
1: say that links the campaigns is that please, for the love of God, don't make your first community content creation a campaign write a scenario, a nice tight scenario where you've got control of all the moving parts and you can finish the thing, that's great write that, publish that uh, if it goes well, write another scenario maybe it's thematically linked, maybe it's a sequel to your first scenario, that's fine do that, then do it again now, at that point you've got three scenarios you've got you know half of a big campaign book you're doing great, but what you don't want to do is write a scenario that doesn't make sense except as episode one of a campaign that has an unsatisfactory ending because it's all Tre- threads dangling into yeah. part 2 of the campaign and you set yourself out to write seven scenarios when you've never actually written one scenario and you have to make the whole thing hang together and you need a vast engine of playtesters like the good folk at Miskatonic Playhouse or Bridget Slot at Symphony Entertainment but you you basically your um I think your your ambition is probably exceeding your grasp if you think your first community content product will be a vast campaign to rival Masks or Orient Express or Children of Fear indeed make make it emerge write stuff that makes sense standing on its own and then grow out from that once you've got that secure base to work from that that's would be really my, good I, advice you are entitled to ignore my advice um everyone <laughs> is it's um one of the nice things about being an ambassador
0: you, you you're
1: you're allowed best to advice to is free
0: advice though yeah the best yeah. advice is free advice i do i, I actually I, I think that's really good because i i know but, what i'm like as a writer also like, I, but, I would get carried away I think a lot
1: of, not, not a lot of people might remember this, but the first ever Call of Cthulhu globe-trotting campaign, Shadows of Yog-Sothoth, was actually patched together out of seven scenarios that were originally unrelated and written by different authors that were submitted to Chaosium. And Sandy, who was very smart, said, you know what, we can string these together to begin with that and have a detour into that and carry on with that. We'll just have our MacGuffins running all through it rather than the MacGuffins the original authors had, and you'll end up getting eaten by Cthulhu which is a happy ending for all corporate campaigns, I hope. Um, So, yeah, that's the thing. It's like string the things together. Work with other authors, if you want. Collaborate. We'd be delighted if there was a kind of emergent campaign happening, facilitated on the creator's circles or playhouses or discords or wherever the young people go nowadays. I don't know. It's not something Chaosium will take a hand in organising. I want to be very clear about that, but we'd be delighted to see it happen. On my side of the fence, we've had a lot of teams coming together to make Johnstown Compendium products. So several of the books behind me are the Sandheart series, which are written by John Webb and by Michael O'Brien, with cover art by Jacob Webb and interior art by Mark Baldwin and Dario Corallo, and layout and design by me. And that's consistent all through this four book series now. Um, we, we just got together, we w- worked out we liked doing it. John's first scenario came out and uh, it, it, was, it was okay, but it had potential. But um he got an offer from an artist to do free illustrations of remarkably high quality. And he asked me if I could help with layout. And I said, Yeah, I think I can probably help with layout. And uh, because I was helping with the layout, we got it into print as well. And that's where things started steamrolling from. But um, you know it's just the emergent groups that come together our, our lunar stuff is uh me and the gang we, we wrote a lot of stuff back in the 90s and we've been really having a lot of fun getting it out as community content nowadays and there's other teams too the, the monster of the month team like i'm well, well off piece for the miscotonics. i know that on um the Miskatonix side you've got things like the Polish Zdrosi team who've produced Yes. dozens as it feels like of titles in both polish and english and indeed translations into german i think there's spanish as well and probably others um and there's the uh the the, the, gr- the grindhouse guys which i think is ian Christensen and alex Gillock, who we've um I, r- I raved embarrassingly about with my man crush on him earlier but these things will happen <laughs> take it in your stride um and of course uh, alan Carey's amazing seeds of terror which just look like fantastic something.
0: Yeah, I've pl- I've played a few of those, uh, they- and they are absolutely superb. And I've been um, messaging Alan a number of times, just going, "When is there going to be a collected g- editions coming out that I can hold and perhaps cuddle at night?" Because I just I just think they're brilliant. I love the idea, and as a uh, as a writer, seeing what Alan and his team do there, and they 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 have that such kind of sprint down version, uh, I'm very jealous of that ability as well. That's that's a very kind of skill, uh, amazing skill that they've got there. Type forty, fantastic skill. It- it is um, an
1: amazing skill, and it's one I'm very pleased to tell you that Chaosium will shortly be leveraging, but I am sworn to secrecy and can't tell you more.
0: Ooh, there's, that was almost like a premier information, but not quite there. I think that's... Okay, that's amazing. That's a, fantastic. fantastic.
1: Okay, three little letters, M-O-I, and that's what you're getting.
0: Okay, that's, that's, that's like half of my wordle. That's just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> thank you nick i'm gonna go away and think on that one um uh okay but we uh, another community uh question here we have uh let me just see here okay so we have uh charles mathadomaine and he has asked uh what's exciting for you when reading a new scenario thanks charles that's a really good question um when i was a kid
1: scenarios were written effectively by beardy but not yet old geeks who are well kind of in lab coats, because they were writing something to be a repeatable tournament experience. The first D and D modules were tournament scenarios and you'd come to the tournament and you'd throw your people into the tomb of horrors and they'd all die horribly and you'd say, That sucks. What a terrible scenario. And then you buy it and you put your friends through the same ordeal. And that it's amazing the hobby ever got off the ground, really. But they were full of very detailed technical specifications saying, this is exactly the size of this room, and this is the clinical description of this room, and these are how many monsters are in the room, and how many hit points they've got, and blah, 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 blah. Um, as you might have told, I, I kind of reacted against that. I, I think a scenario is a set of instructions to a, on my side of the fence, we'd say game master, on your side you say keeper, of how to present the experience you want to uh, inflict on your players, um, how to get them excited when you're going for pathos, when you're lying to them and misleading them. I want to do, I want to explicitly tell the GM, here in this scene, I want you to mislead them into a sense of security so that when you hit them with something surprising coming at them, they will be shocked and will react badly. And I find it easier just to be up front to the GM and saying, that's what I'm doing in this bit, rather than sort of trying to subtly write it around that. So in my own work, I, I give music cues, uh, a trick I learned from a, a very excellent game master. I'll give him a shout out here. Um, Phil Wright, uh, who ran games for me at the Roleplay Haven in Southeast London, back in the before times, um, he had a gift for presenting things cinematically, or indeed televisually, or as pages from an epic comics adaptation of a minor Robert E. Howard work from the 1970s, which might've been full painted or might've just been full color. We're not sure, but we were sure when we were playing the games. So when you're in primetime adventures, we knew that we were in a um, a BBC TV production that would probably be shown prestigious drama, probably shown at nine o'clock on a Sunday night. And we, we got that, that specific, So that we knew what our genre was, only we knew what we could have fun with. And then he had a gift for narrating cinematic uh, transitions or comic splash page opening scenes. So that if we're going to have our adventure and it's at Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, we'll open with a comic splash page of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre description of what London's like. And then we'll focus in on the dialogue from the characters. And that's you. And what do you say? And it's just a lovely trick. And I, I use helicopter shots now in my RuneQuest campaigns to speed things along. I so, say, you know, we're going to get them from A to B. And the best way of doing this is to now have a cinematic camera of them slogging across the landscape looking heroic because everyone wants to look heroic while slogging across a landscape, but that way they're not saying, how many miles is it? And did I remember my bunion cream? And um, shouldn't we be hunting for food on the way? It's like, no, screw that. We don't have time for that. We're doing a cinematic yeah, yeah. helicopter shot of what you're going through. So um, what I like, to get back to your question, Charles, which is an excellent question, I like it when I'm opening a scenario if it surprises me in the way it approaches things, if it's it's got a twist to it, and if there's a strong... Um, authorial or I think if I was posh I'd say authorial voice if you can tell that, that a human being was on the other side of this they were writing something that they felt about and they want to communicate that spark to you that's what I really like when I'm reading a scenario is a sense that this this is this is a new voice this is an author who's, yeah. who's doing a thing and they're willing to take risks and do it their way they're not playing safe and um, they want me to enjoy it uh, and that, right. that, that, that really is, is, is what does it for me it's that Sense of human contact, as opposed to what I was talking about before, the kind of almost clinical lab coated statistically, here is what is going to happen, um, approach of early scenarios. I want much more mood, and particularly for a horror-themed, investigation-themed game like Cthulhu, I want tips on how to make things creepy, how to make things dramatic. Um, that sense of, well, this is the most yeah. probably most terrifying thing you can do to them at this point would be to do this, rather than say the monster enters the room. And, and i'm probably reacting against a parody that hasn't existed for decades but i am reacting strongly against it so that's my that's my advice to you if you're writing a call of cthulhu cool scenario write it with your heart write it with love and um make it yours
0: and and where better to do that with when you've got a sense of ownership on your own voice than the, you know community content that's the perfect uh, breeding ground to do that isn't it
1: that's actually why i write community content um everything i write is already perfect and would not benefit from any editor at all um i don't want it to be rewritten to conform to a house style or to have the best ideas cut out because they're a bit rude or a bit pop culturey or whatever it is i have one extraordinarily trusted friend um diana probst who uh, creates community content with the beer with teeth collective for um the Johnstown compendium but who's also now been published by Chaosium one of their recent RuneQuest scenario collections she's very trusted because I'll drop my manuscript to her and she'll give it a read through and she'll spot all the things where I forgot to explain something or I'm assuming people know things that they don't or I use the wrong word for some technical part of a spider's anatomy or whatever it is and she'll give me all that feedback and then I will, I will mock it and I will either accept you know obvious things like oh yeah I forgot to explain how we get from A to B I might write in a bit Here's how you get from A to B, or just stick in another helicopter shot, usually does the trick. Um, and if she's being picky about something, I'll put in a th- footnote mocking the pickiness, but indicating that I do know that they're not called mandibles, they're called chelicerae, spider's mouth parts. Um, but you didn't okay. know. And now I you didn't, know so I you've didn't. learned something yeah. from reading. Now really I much, do, yeah. The manuscript's purity is preserved, and that's the important thing. But no, seriously, you cannot. Review something you wrote yourself because you know what it says, and you're probably wrong. But you should and I think must get somebody else to read through everything you wrote and just say, hang on, that doesn't make sense, that paragraph's in the wrong place. Um, I really think you should think twice about putting that in. Um now the platonic ideal is the position that uh, Bridget, my colleague, my co ambassador, um, gets into, Bridget Jeffries of Symphony Entertainment likes playtesting her material to death. She likes to make sure that she's run it several times several different groups and then handed it off to other keepers to run with their own groups and give her feedback and then based on that feedback she will greatly enhance her scenario and it will end up as an absolutely brilliant thing much like this but I don't have the contacts to do that I suppose I could try to develop them but my own feeling is if I've run um, what I've written myself if I play tested it with a group of my friends and it works and it's all there and it's passed the Diana sniff test. And I'm, I'm you know, genuinely appreciative of the time she puts into making my stuff better. And it, it does vastly improve it. It's just that sometimes I laugh a lot at the process. Um, once once it's through all that and it's laid out well enough, I'll, I will publish. And if I got something hideously wrong, I'm sure some kind person will be along to tell me in a while, because you may have noticed I, I also moderate communities for you and some of our fans have, um, different filters than you or I, shall we say. So <laughs> you you'll publish your life's work, your masterpiece, then, then they'll look at it and they'll say, It says 60% on this page, but that should be 50%. And you'll say, Did you want to say anything about the art, the soul, the the, the spark, the, the joy that this book yeah. brought oh, no. Brought- <laughs> Thanks for your it contribution. It's bugged me and it should have been 50%. So what you do is you quietly behind the scenes issue an updated PDF with 50%. And also you change the name for the most degenerate character in the scenario to be the critic and you, you feel good about it but that, that, that's the thing when you're publishing digitally you can make enhancements to your stuff um and we've had a very good example of that recently on the Miskatonic repository with Heinrich's Call of Cthulhu guide to character creation yes. now Heinrich D. Moore of the Council of Shoggoths is as you can tell a very important Shoggoth and he brought out this lovely thing based on the old um central casting publications from I think the 80s which were why don't you have an interesting backstory for your D&D character oh yes because you're not imaginative enough here have a buttload of tables to roll up the fascinating things that happened in your generic fantasy adventures backstory and they're great products they're really nice because they spark ideas and they spark ways of getting yourself involved in the plot Heinrich's done that for Lovecraftian investigators and it's a gorgeous book but that was before Alex got his hands on it because um, Heinrich published this thing and Alex got his hands on it and said you know what I could lay this out with art and design and stuff and it would look amazing and it does look amazing and that's why um, exclusive for the Miskatonic Playhouse we submitted the print-on-demand files for Heinrich's Call of Cthulhu guide to character creation to drive through RPG I think it was yesterday morning and they're currently queued for print-on-demand preparation so uh,
0: yeah that's that's amazing that's like amazing say, and that is our first exclusive and Heinrich in our first episode is our first keeper as well so' wonderful Heinrich gonna... festival <laughs> almost as if it's a very small world
1: indeed, but yes indeed. And, uh, that book again it looks absolutely gorgeous really really beautiful yeah. I cannot say I've read every word of it it's 156 pages and i was doing checking on somebody else's layout and design and <laughs> what I can tell you is it's beautiful but more importantly than that it is within the 240 percent ink
0: limit. Oh, okay, okay. There's an important nod there for anybody that's uh, looking.
1: Anyone, any answers. pod people on the other side of this call will be nodding serenely and saying, oh, <laughs>
0: <there."> <laughs> "I do." Okay, well, thank you very much, Nick. Thank you for that one. Uh, so we've got a couple more questions. Thank you very much for your time uh, that you're giving towards this interview as well. Oh, um, so uh, we've got um, uh, John uh, Hedge Hall. Uh, who, who is a lovely chap, do you know him very well, lovely, lovely chap. Uh, and he, he's he got a really good question, actually. His question is, where do you see the Miskatonic repository going in the next five years? To the moon. Um, we recently had a, um, the first
1: Chaosium Summit on the eve of the first Chaosium Con, and I was asked to prepare some slides showing um, how well the Miskatonic repository has been doing in its four years of life. And the answer is, it started out here, and recently it's gone here so that's all very good Uh, if my video is going to be flipped then it started here and it's recently gone (laughs) here so uh, whether you read from right to left or left to right I'm sure you've got the impression that we're basically moving kind of asymptotically towards an elder singularity that will devour the world quite soon but until that happens the Miskatonic repository seems to be going from strength to strength now I think there's various engines behind this. One of them is Chaosium does a very good job of marketing its community content. If you've subscribed to Chaosium emails, like the Ab Chaos newsletters, if you read their blogs and the links to blogs they drop on social media, and the squib posts on social media that don't link to blogs, you follow their Twitter, you follow them on Facebook, you will see Chaosium marketing. Uh, new stuff from the Miskatonic and celebrating the success of Miskatonic creations. But I think more importantly than that, sorry Mob, has to be said, sorry, Brian, more important than that is the storytelling collective, write your first adventure workshops. We've had yeah. Call of Cthulhu tracks on that, um, twice last year, and we will be doing it again this year and we're hoping to develop a RuneQuest track. So watch this space. That's another oh, wow. exclusive if you want Um, But as you probably know, the Write Your First Adventure Workshop is a month-long course for aspiring adventure writers. The assumption at the start is you know what a role-playing game is, you know what dice are, you're vaguely familiar with the system you've chosen to specialise in for it. So it's not going to teach you to play Call of Cthulhu in a month, but it is going to teach you, with handcrafted lessons by Mr Paul Fricker, the tall vicar, um, exactly how to write a Call of Cthulhu adventure and publish it on the Miskatonic repository. And in fact, the final lessons of the course are right have you got it laid out done have you made the pdf done this is how you upload have you uploaded it yet done right now you've graduated the course so as a result of that course we've had dozens of new scenarios coming out in huge batches there was the summer workshop and then the fall workshop which i think is american for autumn workshop um they landed in i think early august or early november whatever yeah whatever yeah. They, they, they were done they were done when they were done but each of those was a massive injection of new high quality call of content written by first-time writers who'd been through a course teaching them how to write what they love how to research how to come up with original ideas how to keep the spark alive and how to get that across the finishing line and I think the advice on getting across the finishing line staying motivated keeping your word count tight knowing what you're doing there's lessons there that are all about dealing with writer's block and how to navigate your way around the problems with my uh, RuneQuest campaign behind me there Black Spear um I had writer's block for about half a year on there I couldn't quite work out how to make a particular scene work and then it struck me that well you know if you um have people being treated as dignified ambassadors rather than as ruffians who should be thrown in jail. The whole scene works much better, so why don't they just pitch the intro to that scene differently and say, oh, it's great to see you. Come and meet our ruler, rather than you, recreants, throw them in jail, and then we'll drag them out to talk to the ruler. Because you you have to know what's going to work with players and what's not going to work, and I hadn't quite worked out how to make that happen, so I knew where I wanted to get to. I just hadn't worked out the path there. Luckily, I had a few other books to work on in the meantime, so it wasn't dead time, but it was frustrating it was very frustrating not to know how to do things um and I didn't have um any gaming happening at that time of course because we were in lockdown and my normal group couldn't get together and spread diseases to us because that would be illegal if writer's block hits you need tools and tricks for getting past it and the course will teach you those as well but the thing we love about it is at the end of that people are graduating with their new stuff that they've written for the course and it's good and this one here the Hammondsmith Haunting Cat Clay who's an established Australian author of various um, crime and mystery type stuff. Uh, We were really glad she's done it. She's a friend of some people at Chaosium and um, obviously she's made this a beautiful, beautiful book. You know, there's gorgeous colour things in there. Oh, yes, you've got it too. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Yeah, Yeah. it it just looks gorgeous. It's beautifully presented. It's really nice. Very professional layout. She did it all herself. I didn't have, have a hand in this one. I just helped with some of the... Or uh, maybe if the Mitrums were a bit tighter, this is what they meant when they said that, um, bits of pod production. But it was great to get that one out. And that, that's an example of a, a situation where we had a relationship with somebody, so they didn't need to meet our usual Electrum 250 sale threshold before being eligible for print on demand, because we knew she'd made something beautiful and we wanted to support it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it is. And it, it really is. Yeah. that's There's that, another, again, another thing about this community is, when you get to see other people's work which is obviously what this community is about is looking at other people's work celebrating each other's work it's just so inspiring you know when you get when you get to play other people's work see each other's work it just sparks those creative things and then the storytelling collective yeah paul fricker's four five and five absolutely superb
1: what i wanted to talk about was the art this cover pick is by john oh. Sumro, who's brilliant i met him at chaosium con where he was brilliant i got all of his postcards which are brilliant and I just <laughs> do my next community content book and I'm can tell tell you how happy I am about that and it's like I, I knew he was available to do Chaosium community content because he's done it and he's available to anyone and he's got a website and you can contact him on that and say hey John you met at Chaosium Con can you tell me your usual rate for doing a cover and he told me and I thought I want that cover so yeah my That's next book is going to make a huge loss but that doesn't matter because I'm going to have the summer art
0: well, uh, likewise, John, if you are uh, listening to this, you're very welcome to drop some comments in the bottom there. We're all about community. Throw your throw your, your tags in there, your name in there, your handle, and uh, make yourself known to the rest of the community. That'd be absolutely amazing. You are known to the community, John. But, but just also drop yourself in there as well, again, because this is what we're about. This is what we're about. Uh, Nick, one or two last questions for you. Um, um, away. Um, I, have I have no hard deadline, by the way. I'm not past my bedtime or anything. Oh, OK. Amazing, amazing. Um, then, uh, so... Uh, uh, this is a question from me, actually. This is one of my questions. I just recognise my own name. So from uh, from me, T.A. Newman, is uh, what advice would you give to an author who is preparing for print-on-demand? I'm glad you asked me that, T.A., because that's basically what
1: I do. Um, <laughs> I, I, I write some stuff of my own. I help other people's stuff with layouts, but I spend a lot of my time preparing things for print-on-demand. And the advice I would give you is to email Nick.brook. At chaosium.com, Brooke has an e on the end. You'll find this written out on my page on the Chaosium site, or in my forum sig on Burp Central, or you can just, you know, contact me on Facebook. I won't stand on ceremony. Get in touch with me and say I'd like to get something out in print on the miskatonic johnstown or whatever it may be, and I will help you. And it may be that you are very experienced at using layout pro- pro- programs yourself, and you just need to know the right protocols. And I'll advise you who to get to green light these things and where to submit it and I've got um documents explaining the steps of the process as you'll experience them and I've got a uh, bluffer's guides to um you know how we've done things and sometimes just casually mentioning something is really helpful to somebody else so in our Rough guide to glamour, the digital edition has fancy shading around all the headings. I couldn't work out how to get that fancy shading to stay within ink limits for the print edition, so we got rid of it all. And it's like the ink the printed edition has absolutely gorgeous headings that don't have fancy shading. But one of my friends read that, and Andrew Logan Montgomery, who writes the best-selling community content on the Johnstown Compendium. God, how I hate that man! He must suffer. He's a real <laughs> um, and uh no, his books are just brilliant. And he read that and he said, Oh yeah, okay, you can't make those shaded headings I was wanting to use work for print on demand. I just won't use shaded headings. And it's just that, like, that saved him an awful lot of time, banging his head against the wall. Now, somebody will be along in comments to tell me, oh, it's very easy to do shaded headings, actually, all you need to do is, and then I will murder them. But um, it was like, just get saying, yeah, yeah, here's the problem we found, here's the solution we found. The problem was we couldn't do the pretty thing we thought we wanted. The solution was, well, let's not do it. <laughs> Life goes on. So, yeah, I can offer help. I can offer hands-on help. Um, sometimes um, for most of my Call of Cthulhu stuff these books are basically prepared from the PDFs so uh, the author has got a PDF version that's pretty and digital and has art and things in it and I have a non-patented I'll explain it to anyone who wants to do it themselves or I'll do it for you if your work is um, you know if you're moderately pleasant and your work isn't too long for just dropping the pages of the PDF into a layout program and then doing all the things that you can't do if you don't have access to layout I use InDesign. So you can take the PDF pages, you drop them into layout, and then you adjust the ink levels and the margins and the bleeds and things there. And that's how most of this stuff gets made. Now, for my own books, obviously, I'm writing the things in Word and I'm cutting and pasting stuff into layout and I'm doing all kinds of stuff with them. But you don't have to do that all from scratch with the PDF pages into um, a thing. As long as the original PDF was fine, your laid out version will be fine, but it will be able to control things like bleeds and ink limits and gutters that Microsoft Word couldn't do and maybe the programs you used yeah. to create it won't do. But I don't need any access to the underlying files. I just take, well, here's the commercial version you're selling. Let's gussy it up for print, job done. So that's one of the secrets of print on demand. If you want to do it all yourself, which Cat did, I'm very happy to hold your hand through it um, Alex did it for um Heinrich's um guide to character creation. And um but what would happen was Heinrich would send me the laid-out files and I'd read through them and I'd say, ah, schoolboy error, <laughs> pitiful, Boy, you got that wrong too. Ah, Why are you doing that? And I'd send them back to him with explanations of what needed to change. And in an alarmingly short time, a perfect version of the file would then be sent back to me. At least, I'm saying perfect, it's possible that the great brains at one bookshelf will see see things I missed, but I've tried to catch everything they've ever noticed me getting wrong before. Um, But again, that's the kind of pre-checking I can do. I can do that easily. I've got access to the tools you would need to do it yourself. But if you don't have the full version of Adobe Acrobat, um, I can run all the kind of pre-flighting and color checking and limit checking uh, for you. And I'm happy to do that. It's part of my job for Chaosium. Now. This is the bit where I go off-piste. If you've got a community content title that isn't for Chaosium, I'm also happy to consider helping you with that. But for that, there may be a fee involved. Um, I've helped get something out on the Dungeon Masters Guild. You may have heard terrifying stories of the vast limits on the number of people who are allowed to do layout for DMs Guild books. Well, I'm one of them. I'm on the secret list. And if you've got a DMs Guild bestseller, they have to be platinum over there because... There you go. But if you've got a DMs Guild bestseller and you want to prepare for print by somebody who will not charge you the earth, just you know, reach out. My address is at Chaosium, but I'll do this in my spare time, which is copious. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's part of the answer. Um, I'm happy okay, to amazing. take your digital edition and turn it into a printable edition. I'm happy to support you if you want to do all of that yourself. And in extreme cases, I'm happy to redo layout of things where Chaosium desperately wants a print edition to exist. I've done that... Uh, I suppose once it was for the fattest book on the Johnstown compendium, Armies and Enemies of Dragon Pass. There it is up behind me. Um, That's a monster, that's almost 400 pages, and it nearly killed me. So tedious. No no disrespect to Martin Helston, the author, who's pulled together a, the buzzword is magisterial tome, but once you get into the back half of the book, it's table after table after table, and InDesign doesn't handle tables well, The I was going bleary eyed putting these little cartoon mannequins on top of them, right tables, and then adjusting all the text and everything like that.
0: Took a while, took a while, but it's out now and it's beautiful, very good book. Um, I suppose but picking yeah. up a scenario to play is going to be a very, very different experience when you're picking it up and you're editing it and you're checking out and you're, it's a very different world, it's a very different experience.
1: Yes, yes. Um, and, and and that's the thing. I can't honestly tell you I know the plot of full and 5. I do know where the most gorgeous things are and I know where the sea shanties go. Um, <laughs> but I haven't read it cover to cover and read all the character sheets because you don't need to do that to prep it for print. I do think it's a great piece of work and I strongly recommend yeah. anyone yeah. who wants to sing sea shanties and pretend to go whaling in 1848 South Pacific should get Full and 5 and play it in much the same way that if you um, enjoyed... Uh, Kenyan big game hunting and man-eating lions uh, molesting people, you should definitely get Sorrow in Savo, by the And so on and so forth. If you're more into spooky Victorian ghost stories and cantankerous old ladies with shotguns, I'm told. I'm sure she's in there. Haven't read that bit myself, like I say. Looking at the fire. Then th- th- there you go. So we, we've got all these things. They're all varied. They're all different stuff. My personal favourite things on the Miskitonic, I've got to say, are um, unusual settings and one-shots with pre-gen adventurers, because, sorry, we say investigators on this side of the pond, don't we? Pre-gen investigators, because then you know you've got a party that's going to get into the action, and it doesn't really matter if most of them get folded, spindled, and mutilated along the way, or just lose their marbles, because it's a one-shot, and the next game you play will be set somewhere else, different time, like watching a different horror movie. Um, I'm not such a big fan of the... um, either invulnerable or indeed frequently replaced investigators touring Lovecraft country. We're allowed to say that. Yeah, Lovecraft, Miss Betonic country, um, not knocking off uh, disciples of Sathogia in every small hamlet they come across. That's not my preferred campaign style. I'd much rather take a break and say, hey, what, why don't we do something set at the Salem Witch Trials? Or, oh, no, I heard there's a really good um, scenario set in... Edo period Japan, actually, I think we've got a campaign Edo Japan on Miskatonic. Uh, but th- th- there you go. It's, it's horses of courses, isn't it? Yeah. Would you rather watch lots yeah. and lots of things in basically the same setting with the same characters or do you want to mix and match?
0: And it's that uniqueness, isn't it? That's what's going to draw people in and a part of our community is, you know, how do we look at In fact, this actually brings us to our next question here. You know, we've we've got this, um, the community, there's a big part of marketing, there's a big part of you know, getting our scenari- scenarios. Um, but the, the the question that's recently been in you know the Miskatonic repository uh, chat groups is is um, about advice on pricing scenarios. Right, um,
1: I can give you advice on pricing scenarios, and um, I will do my best to make it snappy. First of all, don't give your stuff away, and don't give it away by putting it as pay what you want because almost everyone wants to pay nothing. Uh, the two reasons for that are uh, if you don't value your work it's very unlikely anyone else will people download stuff that's free and they don't look at it they download it and they don't look at it um, it's a pack rat behavior we've seen it countless times people probably aren't going to look at your stuff if it was free also you aren't going to get any kind of recognition or ego boost I'm not talking about money I'm talking about the joy of publicly letting it be known your scenario is sold 50 copies your scenario is sold 100 copies it sold 250 copies my god it sold 500 copies I mean what kind of guy would sell a 1,000 copies? I don't know, Andrew Logan Montgomery. God, I hate it. Um, but uh, if your stuff is given away for free, you aren't in the drive-through RPG metal system, and you don't get that boost that comes from everyone knowing, oh, yeah, this one's doing really well. It seems to be popular. There's a lot of buzz around. it. Maybe I should get on board. Um, I produced something called the Miskatonic Repository Catalogue, which is dirt cheap. I think it's a dollar for a spreadsheet detailing... Um, the setting and the time and the title and the page count and the price of everything on the Miskatonic repository. And I say page count and price because I'm I'm pretty good with these computer things. I can divide one by the other, but I can tell you the average price per page of stuff on the Miskatonic. My advice to you, if you're starting out, is just to have a look at that and get a feel for Hmm, range of 15 to 20 cents seems reasonable for a scenario on the Miskatonic repository so why don't I pitch mine at roughly between 15 and 20 cents per page um you probably can't go wrong if you do that if you're going much less yeah. than 15 you're on the cheap side and that's great that's you're you're a, a virtuous person we value that if you go much above 20 then my advice would be to have stunning layout and gorgeous internal art and an amazing color cover because otherwise people are going to look at that and they'll say well Why would I pay twice as much for this scenario as for that scenario when I don't know what's in it? I don't know who it's by. So I think there's a fairly tight range of prices, and I think price per page is the best metric. There are others. I know some people say, um, well, I know I'm writing something very short, but in the spirit of, well, I'd buy that for a dollar. I'll charge a dollar for just two pages, and it's like 50 cents a page. Maybe your idea is worth that. Maybe it isn't. Um, I'm not saying don't charge what you think your stuff is worth. I am saying there are some... Uh, very expensive uh, page-for-page products on the Miskatonic repository, they do stick out. And things like my catalogue make it very visible when they stick out, because you say, oh, that price per page is shaded red by the machine. Maybe that's a big number. Um, So that isn't all there is to it. Uh, The uh, Cthulhu scenarios actually seem to be a little bit pricier on um, average than the Johnstown things or RuneQuest. I think that's because the Cthulhu works are shorter and tighter scenarios for the most part. Whereas on the Johnstown, we have more big fat tomes like the ones behind me where it's you know harder to sustain a big ticket price. And in fact, there is research by Drive RPG, which they've shared publicly on blogs that you can look at about the optimal pricing points for digital and print content on um, Drive RPG and their other sites. Um, I strongly recommend those. And in fact, I'll try and give you the link so you can include it in show notes for this. Um, Because one of the things you learn from that is that if your digital product costs more than $20, or maybe more than $19.95, sales will drop off a cliff. And um, I've tested that, and it's true. (laughs) Um, That book behind me there, Life of Moonsun Volume 1, is $30 in digital, and it doesn't sell well. It's gorgeous, lavish colour illustrations throughout, beautiful piece of work. Some of our finest writing is in there, but it's $30, so it hasn't yet sold 200 copies. Shame. Wow. Um, we're still very proud of it. It's a gorgeous book, and I take the opportunity to plug it every time I can. But if I'd been advised at the start, you know what, Nick? If you put out a digital product and it's more than twenty dollars, no matter how good it is, sales will disappoint. I'd have known, and we'd have said, "Well, let's not bother doing it at all." I've got a large chunk of my life life back. Anyway, it's um, still obviously a a successful book, a very good one. We're glad we made it, delighted we made it like that. But the fact is, we didn't know about the $20 cutoff. And that's actually affected my campaign black spear behind me there, because that is, um, I think it's about $40 in print or $20 in digital. Now, print prices now are a bit funny because they split differently for standard colour versus premium colour. Standard colour, so it's probably $36, and premium colour is near $50. But the in the old days, it was more straightforward. When I was young when you just printed. So anyhow, that, that's $20. And one of the things that happened with that is I got the book to the size that I could print it and sell it for those prices and make my normal margin, which is 20. And I said, I, I can't write any more. So even though I kind of wanted to add an extra scene at the beginning of Act 5, I just thought, you know, in not doing yourself any favours we do nobody's going to get the joke anyway it's all about the french plantation scene from apocalypse now um i'm not even sure what i was going to achieve with it other than having a scene the parallel of the french plantation from apocalypse now <laughs> so i dropped it and nobody knows unless they listen to the podcast but i've been going on for more than an hour now so i think they've all gone haven't they
0: well, uh, Nick, I think that is where well, I think that is. That's us. That's that's us done. And I think that's a perfect opportunity for me to actually just say, you know, a, a huge thank you. Um, this is uh, this is our this is our premier backstage chat with the Muscatine Playhouse. So thank you so much for being a part of it and giving us, you know, insightful information. You know, you're giving us you know direct guidance, and I think just is an amazing opportunity for the community to get to kind of see you and hear you speak like this. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, as I said at the start, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, I'm always around in a couple of places. You can almost always catch me on Facebook, particularly in the Miskatonic Repository Creators Circle, you're quite likely to find me on BRP Central, Burp Central, the Chaosium old-style forums for people who aren't social enough to be on Facebook. You probably won't find me on any Discords. I'll be drifting past once in a while, but you can, you're not going to be able to get a conversation there unless the young person's game um but, but also you can email me it's as i said nick.brook at calcium.com and i will answer your questions about community content and i will help you to the best of my abilities to get in contact with people who can really take your stuff to the next level um the other ambassadors are also around to help so if you have a personal hatred for me and you don't want to deal with that bastard nick Brook, you can contact project jeffries or alan carey um, the other two, KLCM Community, community Ambassadors, uh, unlike me, they know a lot about Call of Cthulhu. They have, in fact, written hugely successful Call of Cthulhu adventures and sold them on Miskatonic Repository. So they may be better people to ask the questions I hate being asked about. Why can't I use Hounds of Dindalus in my story? Because like, I'd I just get bored with that stuff. Like, I don't know, we just told you you couldn't use them. Go away. Um, but they will be able to bore you with the reasons, which there are reasons, I'm sure. So there you go. So Alan and Bridget, you can take the difficult questions to them, easy questions and questions about print on demand to me. But one thing I wanted to say before we close this is at Chaosium Con, earlier this month, we had a social event for uh, community content creators and wannabe community content creators to get together in the morning and hang out. And it was just wonderful meeting so many people who either have published or are publishing or are thinking of publishing stuff on the Miskatonic repository and the Johnstown Compendium. It was a, there was a lovely buzz in the room. It was an enthusiastic session. I'm sure that had nothing to do with the booze that Bridget was supplying people with at nine in the morning. Um, But it was uh, very, very nice getting to meet creators, talk about their plans, talk about directions they're thinking of going in. Um, I was particularly excited There's somebody thinking of doing audio handouts for Call of Cthulhu, scenarios and recording clues for um so you, you, you download your little WAV files in a zip archive and you plug them in and you have genuine screaming at your game table it wouldn't just be you pretending to be Faye Ray it would be done by a talented voice <laughs> actor I think that's really exciting because we've, we've got yeah, all the yeah. possibilities that we can we can explore in that space so yeah if you're not sure you're allowed to do something ask me. If you're not sure you're allowed to do something and it's a boring question, ask Alan. Um, if you want to be really encouraged by about anything, ask Bridget. She's very, very encouraging. And also, she is persistent. She will latch onto you and she will not let you finish until you have done the things that you need to do to you know, knock your thing into shape. Um, but we're here to help. Chaosium keeps us around because we want to help other community content creators succeed we are all community content creators ourselves it's what we do it's what we did when we came to Chaosium's notice and part of the way we came to Chaosium's notice was by making things and being podcasted at and talking to folks and that's why I'm very happy to be here today because you and the Playhouse are a vital part of the Miskatonic Repository's future and I really do hope you get a queue of scenario authors lining up to say Play mine next. It's cool. Play mine next. It's set in Japan. Play mine next. It's in a far future on a desolate mining station. That that would just be so cool for you. And you'd have all, all these different genres and idioms and things to work
0: through. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. But the dragon oh, one. Thank you. Ooh, can you do a good Yorkshire uh, accent? Oh, I, I was very lucky that I got to play a very posh English chap, <laughs> so I managed to kind of just navigate away from the Yorkshire accent, but. uh well, yeah, we do. I'll tell you what, we, we had some good fun doing it. So I'm really looking forward to that coming out. I'm really looking forward to that being released. And it is a, a really great scenario as well. So, yeah. yeah. But but yeah. just speaking on what Nick said there as well, if you're watching this and if you are thinking with the Playhouse that you'd really like to get a scenario to us, uh, you can please get in t- contact with us either through one of our uh, our Facebook page, our group, our Twitter, our every other social that we've got going on. And there'll be kind of uh, a graphic here, no doubt, saying where you can kind of pick us up on all of that.
1: He didn't mention the Discord either. He's old.
0: <laughs> we're on the discord as well find our discord i am old uh but also uh you can send us scenario to us or just get in touch with us at mysticatonicplayhouse at gmail.com you're very welcome to get in touch with us at any time and we can kind of respond to you so uh nick thank you so much for your time um community members thank you so much for being with us and uh listening to myself and nick uh catch up thank you so much community for your questions for nick as well they were great. We look so forward. yeah they were great thank you very much we look forward to our next backstage chat uh, and our own, hopefully, little mini-exclusive is hopefully that we're going to have Alan and Bridget joining us for some of these as well in the future. So uh, we're going to collect the whole set if we can. Uh, oh, send you some questions for them. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very thank much. You. Good night. As we draw the curtain on tonight's performance, we thank you for joining us and look forward to inviting you back to the Miskatonic Playhouse. In the meantime, you can also find us in the links below. And if you'd like to submit your scenario for us to play, email Miskatonic Playhouse at gmail.com.